0: Welcome to JLab, a podcast from the Civic Journalism Lab, a forum for professional, student, and community journalists in the northeast of England to meet, learn, and collaborate. It's supported by Newcastle University and by BBC Northeast and Cumbria. My name's Ian Wiley, and in this podcast, you'll hear highlights from our panel discussion, which we titled Unreached, Unheard, Unreported, when we asked, How do we bring new voices and new experiences into journalism? Trust in so-called mainstream media is at an all-time low. According to a survey of 1,500 people, the number who said they trusted British news outlets fell from an already low 36% in 2015 to a mere 24% by the beginning of this year. There are many reasons for that, but one surely is that many people simply feel their views and experiences aren't being reflected in newspapers, TV broadcasts and news websites produced by organisations still dominated by middle-aged white men. And I think this is particularly true of younger audiences. 88% of millennials, in another recent survey, said they sometimes or never trust the news. Social media has overtaken TV as young people's main source of news. It's plainly the case that news organisations of all shapes and sizes could benefit from a greater degree of diversity. Not just ethnic diversity, but of background, class, education and age. And until we open things up, most of the news we read, watch and hear will continue to be much of a muchness. To get a greater understanding of the opportunities and challenges, we decided to narrow our focus even further and zoom in on how to reach younger audiences, the millennials and below, which is why we gathered together a knowledgeable group of panelists who were willing to share their views and experiences on reaching these younger audiences. We'll hear a little later on from Joshi Herman at The Tab and Jamie Clifton at Vice, and also from Helen Amos, who's going to explain a little bit about some of the initiatives that the BBC is engaged in. But first, I asked Michael Segalov, news editor at Huck. A magazine and youth culture channel, how it seeks to satisfy audiences that other more mainstream media organisations struggle to reach.
1: So, basically, our outlook is to the word we use time and time again is counter narratives. That's a phrase that we sort of put at the heart of all the work we do. So, we've got a a bi monthly print magazine which kind of does much more detailed feature writing on the most part, where we look around the world to uncover stories, speak to groups of young people, activists, musicians, artists, creatives skaters, whoever they might be, who are challenging some form of status quo in their country. So it might be skateboarders or surfers who are doing stuff around the environment. It might be a group of activists in Argentina who are doing work around um, access to to abortions. Who knows what it might be? But that's kind of our approach to the print magazine. The same with the documentaries we produce. With the website, which is where I sort of work slightly closer now um, as the news editor, our focus is to do a similar... I guess have a similar outlook, and we're looking for different approaches and different understandings of what's happening in mainstream culture through the lens of, um, again, uh, other writers, uh, other creatives, uh, skaters, and all the list before, but in a slightly more reactive way. Uh, so my job is basically to look at the media landscape and see what everyone's talking about across the mainstream press, and then to look at how we add something to that conversation. But we, as a, an organisation, and really no new media company, maybe aside from Vice News but even then they're nowhere near able to compete at the moment. They're um, able to compete with people like The Guardian, The New York Times, BBC, uh, the resources they have, or the, and then you've got the kind of press agencies so again they're doing that news gathering on the ground. So we, there's no point in me looking at the news and seeing what's coming in and quickly rewriting some form of, um, of news story, so we look at ways we can add to that conversation. So that might be through comment pieces or analysis from writers who have something interesting to add, on well, the most part, they won't be your book-standard columnists who are on huge amounts of money at the Telegraph or the Times or even the Guardian. They'll be younger writers um, from a much more diverse uh, range of backgrounds um, who we call on to say, well, how do you see this story?
0: How does he understand the way that younger audiences now engage with the news?
1: If we look at the way that our readers, and me, I'm only 24, I engage with the news. I very rarely click onto a news site to read a news story anymore i on Twitter almost constantly for work and also outside of it. I scroll through my Facebook feed I see what's going on if I click the TV on. So I'm constantly updated with the, the news in terms of the headlines. I, I see that all the time. And I think we've got used to the generation to digesting it in that form and not needing to sit and read through a whole news piece that might have been on the front page of a, of a mainstream, uh, national newspaper before. So what we try and do, and I think what we see seems to work, is to find uh, new and engaging ways of talking about the news and don't just report on the facts. There's a lot of talk at the moment about how um, there is this kind of delineation between news, analysis, feature writing. Like in I think 10, 15, 20 years ago and certainly before that, that probably less than that, probably five years ago still, if you walked in, I worked at the independent for a while, I worked at the news desk, and I walked into the office, there was a team of news writers whose job was to write the news. And they would do so as impartially as they could, as unbiased as they could, and they were there to report on facts. And really, if you look at kind of youth media outlets, so it could be Dazed or Vice or Hacker, or a Family 29 or anywhere else, and increasingly you're seeing this in traditional legacy papers as well because they're needing to keep up, those lines are becoming more fluid. and um, You don't have a writer writing a, a news item where their voice is kind of immaterial. material, more and more we have people writing uh, pieces or making videos or producing content, if you use that word, which pulls together the reporting of facts and their analysis and their experience. We'll see more and more, settling on Vice, that's what I did for a long time with them, it's reporting, but it's reporting through the lens and through the eyes of the, the writer. So as an example, I went out to Northern Ireland just before the last set of elections there, and rather than doing a piece of reportage that was about the interviewees, it was about my experiences meeting people. Obviously placing their experience there their analysis and their views front and centre, but you allow with the internet us to have more of a voice, and that's part of a bigger trend of writers needing, because of the nature of the media landscape, to have a personality. You have Twitter, you have Facebook, you're publishing your own stories, and, but more and more we're relying on, on us as individuals and us as writers and commentators and journalists having some form of, not brand, but personality that can be engaged with. But the way I like to work is that we regularly ask for contributions, both for the print magazine and for the site. Uh, and we don't just go to writers with a huge track record of experience. We don't really want seasoned experts, and experts, the seasoned writers who, who, who uh, already have their own way of doing things. We want to invite fresh voices and fresh ideas into what we do. Um, and that goes at every level, whether it be uh, the kind of news stories, reporting, or other columns, making films.
0: Founded by three students at Cambridge University in 2009, the tab is now run by a team of young 20-something editors in New York and London and supplied by a network of student reporters at universities across the US and UK. Its stories are being syndicated by some of the world's biggest newspapers and TV channels. It claims to have a monthly audience of 50 million people across its websites and now counts Rupert Murdoch's News Corp as one of its investors. We Skyped editor-in-chief Joshie Herman, to ask them how the tab reaches that 18 to 22-year-old demographic.
2: So we probably know more about our readers and the stuff that they're into and their cultural references and um, obviously like their educational background than most publications. And that probably allows us to tailor editorial for them more than you would be able to do at... um, Place with a, with a bigger constituency. For example, I used to write for the Evening Standard, and you know our readers were like, you know, I think we said they were like 25 to 35 commuters in London. But that's a much wider bracket of people. That's a bracket of people who have much less in common than the tabs readers in the UK. Um, so it's really nice to be able to have a really focused readership. Um, I would say like people in our demographic want news when it's really wild, when it's really like something that makes you sit back, either because it's really, really funny or because it's really strikingly awful. um The rest of the time, I think people want a more entertaining mix of stuff, and I think what we've realized over the past year is some of our entertainment stuff, some of our humor stuff, some of our stuff about you know t v like Love Island is going to do really really well alongside the political things that do well and alongside the original news reporting that does well and i think um if you respect your readership enough to give them the mix of entertainment and news that that um you think they want um you're going to do better than if you assume that a particular audience just wants serious news or just wants tv stuff or just wants viral videos i think people have a pretty all-round um you know media taste in a way and that's what we try to deliver um to them uh in the UK. I think any media company now that tries to that tries to just do hard news or just do news about one topic you're going to need a, some kind of independent financial backing to make that work. You it's going to be hard to grow a business by just doing news or just doing hard news. I mean, if you, if you look at kind of a Fleet Street product like The Guardian or The Evening Standard, they have, you know, 20 pages of news, but then they're gonna have a, a few features, and then they're gonna have a lifestyle section, they're gonna have comments, they're gonna have a bunch of content like sport that has nothing to do with the news of the day. I think we're probably the same. I mean, we probably have um, a really, really strong component of what we do as news a good proportion of that is original news stuff that we've broken ourselves. And that's a big part of our culture. But um, there's also stuff that's like a quiz about Love Island or there's stuff that's like an interview with Jeremy Corbyn in which one of the key questions is about like a TV show that people are into. So we try to keep it really varied. I think uh, you have to really, really listen to the signals about what people are interested in. And I think maybe like one of the... Uh, shortcomings of the media in the last few years has been that a bit of a snobbery around looking at page views as an indicator of what people care about. I think if you just think of page views as like the thing that viral sites care about and you think of page views as a reward for clickbait and you don't look at them as like a really good indicator of the things that people like reading about and and, 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 and care about, then you're missing like some of your best data about what's published. Um, so we're not snobbish about page views at all. Like <laughs> if something does really well traffic wise, that's a pretty good indicator that people find it funny or they think it's important. Um, and then you need to, your role as a publisher is to try and find like other things that they might enjoy or other things that they might care about, which are less obviously traffic-y. Um, and if you can do that, a good month for us would be if we're doing a ton of traffic, and we're also breaking a few stories that get quoted in The Guardian and get quoted in The um, Sunday Times or get picked up by the BBC because that would mean that we've done a lot of content that people are really into and we've also done stories that like are shaping a bit of the national conversation that are appearing on on big big channels.
0: What I asked him are the benefits and frustrations of running a news organisation that's staffed entirely by young people?
2: It's a bit of an experiment in like The kind of media company you get if you just recruit people straight out of university and give them a ton of the decision making power which most media organizations wouldn't because they um they've got too much to lose but when you don't have a a lot to lose and you do really believe in reaching young audiences then obviously the best way to do that isn't to get a 45 year old executive to plan what young people might care about or to like use a you know i think some companies use uh, agencies who tell them what young people care about or millennial taste makers or whatever. The best way is just to get people from your audience who are talented at writing and video and, and, and whatever and to have them making the decisions about the content. So, our average age of our editorial staff is I think 23. So, a lot of them are 21, 22. Um, I am the oldest at 28. Um, so, it does work. Um, obviously, you get. You get disasters, but you also get a editorial product and a website that looks different and feels different from a lot of the other stuff out there, which is basically what we're aiming to do. Because I think if you make a commitment every year to um, add people to your team who've just been at university and who just for 22, 23, 24, I think if you do that, then you're going to have a freshness um, about the organization. It goes without saying that a lot of media companies in Britain right now need to... Um, radically hand over power to younger reporters and editors. I mean, that's just that's plain to see when you go on their websites and you, and you see, look at their front pages. Um, they badly need younger people making decisions if they want to get young readers. Um, uh, it's astonishing that they haven't figured that out. Um, but I think the success of things like BuzzFeed in the UK and Vice in the UK and us should be a good indicator to the industry that young people are decent at um, engaging audiences and um, that young people are making decisions rather than just doing your social media accounts is the only way for you to um, build, a, build young audiences um, online.
0: And how should we be training young reporters for this new form and style of journalism?
2: I think, what, um, I think what journalism schools and what universities are good at teaching young reporters is the basic skills of standing up a story, doing an interview um the kind of journalistic skills the reporting skills i think we're good at that and and, you know at a basic level of good writing and a basic level of ethics in the way you report i don't i think that's that's all great but the second big part that you look for in a young journalist is their ability to engage an audience know what their audience is engage them with stories that they actually care about. Because if people don't read your stories, no matter how minded they are, no matter how earnestly you're tackling the problems of the world, if people aren't reading them, it's basically pointless apart from practice, you know? So are journalism schools right now really teaching um, young reporters and young writers and young videographers how to engage an audience? Feels to me like they're not um, in both the US and the UK, and that's a big deficit. You need to be able to teach them how to write in an engaging way. You have to need to teach them how to make video formats that, are, that really really break through. Um, if you're making a video and only a thousand people are watching it, you know then you haven't reached your demographic, right? And um, that's where I think a lot of the progress can be made. And I think journalism schools and universities should be getting people in from the digital media industry, you know, from Vice and BuzzFeed or us or whoever, and saying, you know, come and teach a class or come and show these guys how to do it.
0: I put the same questions to Jimmy Clifton, editor in the UK of Vice, which has expanded from being a magazine into young adult focused digital media, from news websites and web series to TV documentaries and record labels. Valued at almost $6 billion, its investors include Disney and Hearst Corporation.
3: Age-wise, probably about 15 endlessly upwards, but I guess 15 to sort of mid-30s is our, is our main age range. Um, people who are lit- politically and culturally engaged, um, people with a sort of voracious appetite for content and news, um, and also I think a different take on, on what you get from the mainstream media, so, or I say mainstream media, traditional media. Um, so whether it's like, um, so Paradise Papers, for example, um you know we have a relatively small team so we can't cover every single beat so we had to basically decide we've done a few things on it but we had to kind of decide our take something that was sort of hook people in so we went for the first thing we did was basically a kind of rundown of the major occurrences of hypocrisy from the elite people in there that were kind of mentioned in the papers which did really well for us. Loads of people were interested in that. Or say, um, remember the Hetty Douglas scandal? Um, you know, doing that. So we did instead of doing a sort of hit piece, we did five stages of an internet shaming, which was kind of using hers as a, her thing as a case study, but then talking about how this happens constantly and it's the same cycle every single time. Um, so it's just a slightly different way into the story rather than reporting on the same thing everyone else is reporting on. Um, because you know, like anyone, we're sort of at the mercy of Facebook's sort of tyrannical algorithm, um, and it's very easy to get lost within that if you're just doing the same thing as everyone else and with the same tone and the same voice. So it's just trying to trying to find a trying to find a new way in and write about it in an engaging way, I suppose. Uh, yeah, no, the biggest gap I think really is millennials and the generation below in terms of what. Maybe not what they care about so much, but how they consume media. I think, you know, millennials and the generation above will go to the big sites. Everyone sort of uses, gets a lot of their news via Twitter, whereas generation below, we found at least, is YouTube, Snapchat, and Facebook video. Um, so we've tried to expand really in the last year, I guess, um, expanded hugely into those kind of got a dedicated Snapchat team, which now reaches, you know, Average of something like 600,000 people a day just on Snapchat. um, Which has been a really effective way of getting that generation to engage with news and the stories that we do. Um, But yeah, I think you're right. I don't think there is as much of a divide between millennials and all the other generations as it's often made out to be. I mean, our staff is the same age as our readers, which I think helps. Um, You know, we have a good gauge on what people will be interested in, um, because it's what we're interested in. and any opinions that we have, I think, are people, and I hope at least, kind of trust our opinion on, on this stuff because we're we're living in this stuff. It's like, you know, whether it's whether it's housing or employment or drug policy, it's stuff that's affecting our generation day to day. Um, so I think it's easier for us to have a, a sort of authentic voice on that um, than maybe older people writing about issues that affect millennials and younger people. Um, Tone as well is, I think the staff that we hire are people that obviously get the tone of the website um, and kind of can take a slightly sort of acerbic, um, you know, fun look at news stories. And that's a big thing for us actually, is finding a fun way into a a news story to get people engaged because as I said before, there's so much of the same stuff out there. that If you just see a sort of bland headline, you're as likely to click that as any other one. So you kind of need to find an interesting route into it. Um, another thing we do a lot of is, you know, we'll cover the news and we'll cover big issues, but then we'll just do sort of purely entertaining pieces. Um, so whether that's like one of our writers just listened to Happy Hardcore for 48 yeah, hours straight you know to bed and from the moment he woke up or one of our another one of our writers uber has kind of become his thing just going and doing mad stuff um he let his instagram followers dictate his entire day and ended up in brussels so you get you know this comes up in people's news feeds and they see this and they'll click on it and then from there they get bounced around the site and engage with something they might not otherwise so it's these audiences that are interested in the, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say silly stuff, but you know, the fun, the, uh, like the fun, light-hearted stuff. And then from, when they finished from there, they're directly pushed into a story about the housing crisis or about, you know, war in Syria or refugees, um, which I think is a good, it's a, a kind of good way of building that audience as well.
0: How does Vice use analytics to inform its news agenda and story choice for its target audience?
3: We, we obviously, we, we keep track of analytics and we keep track of what our audience is interested in, but we also don't want to be relying on them too much. Cause if you, if you run on, I mean the stuff that does absolutely the best is just kind of, the, it's just the, the clicky stuff. And if you just do clicky stuff, then you don't ever write about any of the serious issues. Um, so it's important because you know, you want, you want readers and you want people to be engaging with what you're making. But I think when it comes to, Politics or big issues or news that always comes from a very authentic place rather than rather than looking at what the analytics tell us. Um, it comes from you know we're not we're not writing inflammatory headlines to get clicks. We're we're writing articles that our writers truly believe in.
0: Established news organisations like the BBC face a whole different set of challenges. Helen Amos, outreach manager at BBC North, explains.
4: The way that we're funded um, by the licence fee payer means that we feel that we have a real responsibility um, to engage with audiences who pay their licence fee, but perhaps never see themselves reflected on the telly, never hear themselves on the radio, and would never see themselves on our social media platforms or our online websites. I think a problem, um, I'll be up front about it, um, as the BBC, is, um, you know, this whole whole um, way of engaging with young people and diverse audiences on social media and um, online um, is something that has come into existence way after the BBC came into existence. So even when I trained as a reporter, um, it was very much a focus on radio and TV and we are very aware that, that young um, people engage very well with social media. And I think for a long time we kind of thought about our social media offering in terms of how can we take what we're doing for TV, what we're taking for radio, and then turn that into um, social media and online coverage. And of course what we're slowly coming around to is is the fact that actually that's a whole different ballpark and, and we have to commission specifically for online and for our social media platforms. We've been on a really interesting journey to try and establish sort of how do we use platforms like Facebook and Twitter as the BBC to engage with younger audiences who are just not really engaging with us through our radio and TV anymore. Uh, We became very aware that there are young people that we never hear from on our output Um, and I think that's for... Uh, various reasons. I think a lot of the time it is about building trust with uh, both young people and people from diverse communities, and that takes time. And day in, day out, we're creating news programmes. We have programmes to fill every day and making those kind of relationships with those sorts of people. It's time consuming. It takes a long time to go out of the building and make those sort of relationships when you're up against it for a news bulletin or content for a programme that you need tonight. And when you're doing day-to-day news, it can be really tiring and it can be exhausting and we don't have enough time sometimes to go out and make those sorts of connections.
0: Which is why Helen and her colleagues have embarked on some specific projects to increase the breadth of voices and opinions being heard on the BBC in the region
4: we decided that we would work specifically with men uh, because other than sport, we're aware that the BBC doesn't engage particularly well with very young men. Um, and I visited lots of charities and I went to lots of men's groups and we contacted gyms and we got to, contacted as many different organisations and people who um, would work with young people. People, particularly young men and so for the last um, few months we've been involved in a project called unreported Uh, we have brought groups of young men into this building into this very room in fact and we have been working with them to find out what their story is what is your story what is interesting to you what is your experience here is the news agenda today how are you reacting to that what do you think about it and um, we have been able to commission some really interesting stories that we would never otherwise have heard. And in the rest of my work, where the, I did a, a huge piece of work earlier in the year with the Gypsy, Roma and Traveller community, do a lot of work um, with, um, um, we did a lot of work around Pride and LGBT um, plus issues earlier in the year, um, I do a lot of diversity events where we engage with um, members of the BME community. And what we want, we're very upfront about it, we want to engage with them, we want their stories, we want to be able to take these stories, we want to be able to take their experience that as a group of white middle-class BBC journalists we have no idea about and really get them out there and share them with our audience. And I, I would say that some of the most compelling stuff that we have ever commissioned has come out of some of those projects, just because it's a chance to hear from somebody different.
0: But Huck's Michael Segalov sees challenges ahead for the new young news organisations too.
4: I
1: think it's really interesting because on the one hand it is true that new media organisations at the moment have been able to on the most part avoid these kind of big proprietors who hold so much power, your Murdochs who are hidden behind kind of meeting the Prime Minister at parties. On the flip side, we are going to be faced very soon with a new challenge. Um, Vice is the prime example of this and it's not a criticism, it's just the nature of their business model is that they uh, are a content agency for private companies as well. So they have actually relatively small editorial staff in comparison to the size of the company who are producing um, both white label content, so films, um, words, music, radio, whatever it might be, for other companies which they give to them and they use themselves. And also for stuff that's put out on their own uh, platforms. So there will be pieces on their website which, which are highlighted as sponsored content are not just adverts that are embedded on the site, but news stories or features sponsored by a company. They also run websites for companies like Chanel. I did some work for them a few years ago. With ID, they did a Chanel takeover, which has a whole site they ran, or ran a a website for a hostel company that has hostels around the world. So that crossover is going to become trickier because on the one hand, it's less like we're concerned, I think, about these big mobiles who are wielding power across the world, but instead, it's where that intersection and interaction comes in with corporate interests. And at the moment, it's still working itself out. But one day, if there's a, you know, if Adidas was a massive client of Vices or Hux even, or anyone, and they were one of our biggest clients and we needed them to stay afloat, and then a news story came in that said, um, oh, they've done something really bad, how we would navigate that is probably going to be harder than if you were The Guardian or The Telegraph or The Times, where by definition, historically, You've had, you know, adverts and advertisers from all different industries and you don't really rely on them day to day. You have enough usually that they can cover each other over. Mm-hmm. If you've got a client of Adidas and you're producing websites for them, you're running their website, they're doing stuff on your website, you're doing events for them, like that suddenly becomes much harder. So I do think that's gonna be something that we'll be up against and hasn't really been worked out yet. But on the flip side, I think the way that we are navigating that is that and again you'll see the same with most advice as writers and presenters who then cross over into TV into video they make and in words they're writing is that you have trust in that individual. And um, we are fake people like Jamie our faces. We like me sort of faces. You see us on doing other things, you hear our voices in the words that we write, you see us presenting things or going on the TV to talk about what we're working on. And so to some extent you hopefully have more trust in the individual than a name you don't recognise as a byline in a newspaper. And what we hopefully are able to do is to, to navigate that as best we can
0: You've been listening to JLab, a podcast brought to you by the Civic Journalism Lab in association with Newcastle University and BBC and Cumbria. I'm Ian Wiley. Thanks for listening.